0: What are you here for today? Like if you could actually say, I want to get something today. I want something. I'm here for something. I am here. I need something. I, I talked to somebody out. We, we prayed for somebody out in the uh, front foyer who needs something today. And they're honest about it. Each of us needs something. My prayer today is that God, the divine God, encounters your life. And that we leave these doors different. Then we came in. So Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for everything you've done. We thank you for all you're gonna do. Lord, I pray today that your spirit would be so present that we would have an encounter with you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. Let's do this. This is gonna be a good day. I'm gonna be flying through this, which, you know, is good and bad. I, talk, I tend to talk a little fast at times. That's why we have CDs and podcasts. We're in Acts 12. Moving through Acts. And in Acts 12, we're looking at an enemy that has caused a lot of us a lot of problems. In Acts 12, we're going to see Peter. This is the Apostle Peter who, who traveled with Jesus, the powerful disciple of God. But in this chapter of Acts 12, we've been looking at his response to fear. Today, we're talking about fear. And so in Acts 12, verses 1 through 5, you can turn with me if you want, or you can let me read to you. Acts 12, King Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church and began to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. He had James beheaded. James was one of the apostles, one of the men that traveled with Jesus. And and this might have been shocking to the believers of the church at this time that the apostles, one of Jesus' main people, is mortal. They, They can die. We hear we see this apostle die, and as the persecution ramps up, the the church gets pretty concerned. I mean, this would be like coming in and finding out that Charlie had been killed. It would be terrible. (laughs) It would shock the church. Everybody here is shocked. James has just been killed by Herod. But Herod's not done. When Herod saw that this met with the approval of the people, he proceeded to seize Peter also. He's like, that, was, that went well. I can do more. I think there were 12. One took care of himself. There's 11. I got 10 more to go. Let's do this. And so he gets Peter, who's a very visual representation of the church, and he, uh, he seized him, and this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to the guard to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers, 16 soldiers. Herod intended to bring him out for public, Public trial after Passover. Now, the word trial there is not what we think of as a trial. There's no lawyer. There's no jury. There's Herod, and a trial means that trial is when you get stood up in front of everybody publicly, and Herod decides what to do with you. And Herod, we know what Herod's going to do with Peter. It's what he did with James. Peter is going to be executed. That's his trial. So, so James is killed. The church is rocked as their one of their leaders is 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 beheaded, and then he gets the other one, Peter, and Peter's in prison. Read the next verse. It says, "Verse five, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying earnestly and intently. And so we find Peter in jail, heavily guarded. This is the night before his trial, and there's 16 soldiers around him. There's bars and locks and doors, and, and this is like Hannibal Lecter stuff. I mean, he's chained. We find out later he's chained between two soldiers. He's chained to the soldiers. His wrists are chained to their wrists. How would you feel if you were in his spot? what would be going through your heart and mind is you find your circumstances completely upended in one day. You were out preaching and doing your life for whatever you were doing, loving God, loving people. The next year in prison, you're going to be killed the next day and you're chained. I believe that fear would have been a close companion of Peter at this time. I would have been frightened if I knew I was within 12 hours of my execution. Now before we finish this Acts 12, I want to go back in time about 15 years to a... A younger Peter, a Peter who's less mature in his faith, a Peter who's also in danger. In, act, in Mark 4, we're leaving Acts 12, going to Mark 4. Jesus and the twelve disciples, who are mainly t- teenage boys, are in a fishing dinghy out in the middle of the sea. And while they're out in the middle of the sea, a squall comes up, a storm, and and the, and the harsh winds begin to blow the wind in their faces and the, and the spray, the rain begins to come sideways. It blinds them. It soaks everything. The waves begin to get bigger. And soon, they're crashing over the sides of the wooden boat. Now, this is, this is a wooden fishing vessel. There's no roof. There's no engine. There's no cover. The disciples are struck by the storm, and they begin to panic. And, and rightfully so, they're afraid of drowning, right? You're in a boat, and there's a big storm. You're afraid of drowning, it's, a, it's an easy circumstance to see. They're afraid of this. But there was more going on. You see, they believed, the Hebrews at the time, believed that at the bottom of the sea, this sea was all kinds of evil. Like the underworld was down there. And if they fell in, well then Leviathan or Behemoth or Hades, who knows what could get them. So the fear of the actual circumstance, the boat that's about to sink, is gripping them. And then this imaginary fear of loom, what's looming, the what if, what if. We go in the sea. They panicked. They feared for their lives and they feared for their souls. And so we have these disciples who are are feeling this and who do they look to? They look to their rabbi. Because in this context, when you had a rabbi, you didn't want to just learn all that the rabbi knows. You followed the rabbi so you could be like him. You didn't want to know what they knew. You want to be like the rabbi. And so they look in the storm to their mentor, their leader, their teacher, their rabbi, Jesus. They look for him and they find him asleep. Asleep in the boat. They're panicking and Jesus is sleeping through the storm. They couldn't take it anymore. They roused him. Um, Jesus Christ, we're about to die. Like you know, like can you help us out here? So he immediately g- he gets up, and he immediately speaks peace and calms the storm, like that. Wind dies, rain dies, the choppy sea becomes uh, just a mirror. And it happens so fast, I bet the disciples were still clinging on to something. Still white knuckled. Still wide eyed. Like Bartholomew's probably still yelling, ah! and then it, you know, it all goes peaceful and he's still yelling. You know that awkward thing that happens? Like when you're at a concert and you tell a friend something, but the music dies at the right time? I don't think she's that into me. <laughs> and like, you know, every, like, there's that guy. He's still yelling and holding on and everything's peaceful. Jesus, calm turns to them, and he asks them an interesting question. Why are you so afraid? Jesus, about two seconds ago, there was like this big storm, <laughs> and there was wind and waves, and there's le- Leviathan. I, I don't need to mention Leviathan at the bottom of the, of the sea. Like, like, there are fears. What do you mean are you're so afraid of? It's obvious. We were about to die. Their fears, their circumstances was obvious to them. He asks another question deeper. He says, do you still have no faith? Jesus does something here. He draws a line between our fear and our faith. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He draws a a correlation there. Now we have to see, what is he asking them that they have faith in? Is he, let me ask you this. He's not asking, don't you still have faith in this boat? Do you still not have faith in your ability to swim? He's not asking them about their faith in their natural circumstances. He's asking them about faith in one thing Him, the divine. Do you still have so little faith? Do you still have no faith? You see, their fear is rooted. Their fear is rooted in their natural circumstances. And their panic reveals that their faith is also rooted in their natural circumstances. Because if the boat capsizes, we're all dead. Their faith is in the piece of wood, this wooden contraption. Jesus, save us. You know, like the disciples, oftentimes our faith is rooted in the natural. And it's easy to see how it happens because the natural world, the circumstances, are where we get our fears. And so we, we gravitate toward the things that we think we can control or affect. And so oftentimes when circumstances go bad, I find myself standing in faith upon my own ability or we find ourselves standing in faith on, that it'll all turn out or that this will go good or the market or the school or the others or whatever it would be oftentimes our faith comes from the natural things around us often ourselves we'll get through this and Jesus says you still have so little you still have no faith what he's saying to them is this you know disciples your fear might be rooted in the natural circumstances and the storms but your faith better be rooted in me You better take your faith out of that little boat and you better put it in in this savior. Your fear may grow out of the natural, but your faith better be rooted in the supernatural. Now, why would this be a valuable thing? Why would this be important? Because if you place your faith in God, then no matter the natural fears that you face, no matter the circumstances you go through, you find yourself standing on supernatural peace. So do you still have so little faith? That's what Jesus asked him. Fear is is so common. It's perhaps the most common emotion that humans face. Fear is sometimes healthy, when to run, you know. When you see a a grizzly bear, fear's a good thing. But fear, other fears begin to grip us. And a lot of destructive behavior and emotions grow from the soil of fear in our life. And there's two sources of fear I want to talk about today. The first one is easy. It's circumstances. We get this things happen things are breaking things are broken and we have fear oftentimes it's fear because our we have uncertainty like you go and see a doctor and you show him a mole and he frowns huh he flicks it you know you need a biopsy of that they get a biopsy he goes we'll, we'll tell you in a week whether or not you have cancer oh oh well good i got a week there goes a week of my life i'm gonna deal with that really well you know like there's the uncertainty there's a the certain or what if the diagnosis comes back and it's not good You know, we get this. The circumstances are a generator can be for fear. You're in a relationship and it's breaking or it's broken. Your finances, your housing, uncertainty. Kids, kids are anxiety generators, aren't they? I mean, they run around and keep you in a constant state of uncertainty of what can happen next. Right? And it goes away, right, parents? It goes, That goes away? (laughs) someday, someday. I mean, we get circumstances causes fear. I mean, you could be in a boat in the Middle East in the middle of the sea with waves crashing over the side. I don't need to convince you that circumstances can cause fear. We're in them. You have those circumstances in your life somewhere where things are breaking, shaking, where there's a storm. The second type of fear generator I want to talk about today is called speculations. And it's an entirely different type of fear than the first. You see, a speculation is defined as the forming of a belief with no evidence, where you form a belief with zero evidence. The speculations are the what-ifs in life, and not the good kind of what-if. It's the what-if with a terrible outcome at the end. You know, for the disciples, their circumstance was obvious. The boat could sink. But the what-if was, what if we go down to the underworld? (laughs) We all have this what-ifs. What if they're cheating? What if I lose my job? What if I died? What if this? What What if? What if? What if? And throughout our day, I would say odds are, in the car, at work, going around your life, you have a lot of what ifs that just seem to pop in your mind. You ever been somewhere, been having a great time, experiencing a great moment, and all of a sudden, what if this goes wrong? And it just robs that moment of all joy, robs it of all peace, and you're consumed with this what if. We all face these what ifs, these speculations. The limbo of a diagnosis, the the circumstance of a diagnosis is pretty obvious. We get that. But then there's the speculation. What if I have uncurable cancer, incurable? In my life, the circumstance could be as easy as Eli has a virus, he's sick. But the speculation that hits me at midnight is, oh my gosh, what if Eli has a rare disease? And within a week, we're at Children's Hospital, I'm by his bed, I'm on Facebook, starting a campaign named Eli Strong, we're ordering bracelets, we're starting a campaign, we're going to fight this thing we're facing. And I stop and I go, but what am I facing? Nothing. I'm facing nothing. It's a speculation. I'm facing a reality that's not true. I'm being crushed by a fear from a future that isn't even reality. Worry is being afraid of a future that doesn't exist. And these cause so much fear for us. So we have circumstances and speculations on both sides, causing fear. And what do we do first? Well, the first thing to to maybe look at is, know which is which. Know which is a circumstance and know which is speculation because you treat them differently. Which is which? In in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about how Jesus' followers should engage when it comes to to, um, things that attack us he says in verse 3, we have divine weapons. Those who follow Jesus have divine weapons, not like the world. These weapons demolish speculations that set themselves up against the truth of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. Now this is packed with power. There's a lot here. It's a whole sermon. I'm going to condense this. First of all, believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus are armed and dangerous. Not as the world is, but with something that demolishes speculations that come against the truth of God. You are um, equipped, following Jesus, to know what is the truth and what is not. And when I'm sitting there and those, those thoughts about Eli come to me, I have to bank on the truth of Christ and, and bring it into the present. So we have been empowered by God to demolish speculations and fight, fight them. One way we do this is by the last of the verse. It says this, we take captive every thought. Take captive every thought and make it obedience. What thought? Some thought? Every third thought? What thought? Every, every thought. Take it captive. It says this, a speculation, if it's a fearful thought about the future, take it into the present and make it obedient to Jesus. A speculation, um, a what if could be lustful. Take it, And make it obedient to Jesus. Speculation, it could be one of those anger fantasies you have, you know, where like you you go back and you go forward in time or back in time to work and you really tell that person what you wished you had said and you just get them. Uh. That's a speculation. What if I had said this? What if what if next time I just said this? That's a speculation. Take that, bring it into obedience of Christ. What if someone near me or or me, what if we get sick and die? Take it captive. The truth of the matter is, I don't have enough examples up here. You know the speculations that you fight. You know the speculations that hit you at those random moments. You don't have to live with those. And you are equipped to combat those with the truth of Jesus and make them obedient to Christ. Here's the reality. Why should we take them captive? Because the reality is this. When it comes to speculations and fear, someone will be taken captive. Someone will be. It could be you taken captive by your fears, which we see. We've seen, haven't we? We might have lived. We might be living. Or you take your fears captive and make them obedient to Jesus. But somebody's gonna be a captive. Somebody's going to be. And I'm gonna ask this. In your life, who usually wins? Who usually wins out on that one? Do you find yourself landing in a speculation, anxiety, and anger, or in the truth of Jesus, in the peace of Christ? See, Peter is here in Mark 4 in a boat, and he's terrified He's about to lose it all. One minute he's about to die, the next, he's, it's calm. And on this journey, Peter was constantly learning about where to put his faith. At every turn, if you read back through the disciples' lives, they're constantly having to say, where's my faith go, in the natural or in Jesus, in Jesus or my circumstances? And the more they learn, it's in Jesus, it's in Jesus. Peter walked with Jesus through day after day of mentoring and learning. He saw storms come and he saw Jesus conquer them. He saw Jesus do miraculous things and his faith, Peter's faith, was strengthened. Peter saw Jesus crucified publicly and it broke him and it broke his faith. But Jesus redeemed him and restored him and his faith grew to a level that he did not know before. We see Peter here panicking in in Mark 4, panicking in the boat in the storm. And we go back to, so we go back to Acts 12. And in this Acts 12, when he's in, he's in jail right here, it's 15 some years later, he's more mature, he's, he's, he's full of faith, but his circumstances are still dire. See, Jesus doesn't get him out of the circumstance, doesn't keep him from going through that. He finds himself in jail. Tomorrow he'll be brought in front of the screaming crowd and killed. If I were Peter, these circumstances would keep me up at night. The circumstances are bad enough. Think of the speculation as you lay there, chained to two guards, thinking in less than 12 hours, I'll be dragged out in front of the entire community, embarrassed, humiliated, and then publicly executed. I mean, the speculations of that would have run rampant. I would not have slept at all. And young Peter who was freaking out in a boat during a storm, that Peter, what would he be doing here? And crying, shaking, fighting something. And that's why when we get to, to Acts 12, verses um, five and six, so let's go back and read that. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, to be executed, Peter was sleeping. Peter's what? <laughs> the night before his execution, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains with sentries at the door. Peter panicked in the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. And here we see through the years as Peter has followed Christ, as he wanted to, is he panicking? Just like his Savior, Peter is sleeping in the storm. You know, Peter had watched Jesus sleep in the storm. He had seen his Savior, he had seen Jesus at peace in front of the crowds. When confronted with death, he watched his Savior confronted with peace, with calmness. He had seen heaven hold Jesus when heaven um, unleashed itself. And he had seen all this. And Peter wanted to be like Jesus. He had dedicated his life in the last year since then to being like him, to growing and knowing Jesus' nature so he could have more of that within him. And we see in Acts 12 a different response from Peter. The, the Peter of Mark 4 was, was panicking. Peter of Acts 12 is sleeping. peace and this is part of the great offer of jesus this is part of what god offers us that we don't have to be the same as we were that what is dominating your reality now doesn't have to in the future and that the more you spend time with jesus guess what the more you become like him i love marinating things marinating is when you put something in in it and it takes on the flavor of it and the more you marinate in god's peace you take on the flavor of who he is your life becomes more like him And this is what happened with Peter. He became more like Jesus. He wanted to be like his Savior, and here he lives in. And and Orchard, let me just tell you this Jesus offers us a peace that surpasses all understanding today. And the more you're with him, the more your faith is found in him in the storm, in the trial. And so what circumstances are you going through right now in your life that are very real? A very real storm that the waves of your life are crashing against your work or your home or your personal or private life? Like what circumstances are you going through? Because the reality is for a lot of us, if we were honest, we would be in tears talking about where we are, what we're going through. The thought about sleeping through our circumstances and our trials is foreign to us because we can't hardly sleep now. But God calls us to a life that is defined and protected in his peace. This is a tangible offer. We see it in Peter's life. He is transformed. He has been changed. Jesus told his believers and John, his followers, his disciples, Peter would have heard this. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you peace like the world gives peace because the world gives peace based on the circumstances. Oh, you can have peace as long as things are good out there. But Jesus says, I don't give peace like that. I give a different kind of peace. And he goes on and says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why? Because of Jesus's peace. Isaiah 41, do not fear for God is with you. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen and help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When life fails around you, you can rest in the hands of God. And so for some of us, while the circumstances of your life are being stormed upon, God can hold you. And for some of you, God is holding you in the storm. <laughs> for others of us, so we have, all of us have circumstances, all of us. But for others of us, some of us are facing these speculations. And oftentimes they go hand in hand and it's just a nasty cycle. But the speculations, the what ifs that destroy our present moments and rob it, from pe- rob it of peace and rob it of joy. When you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is within you and equips you with power to fight these speculations. If you are someone who's truly ruled by what ifs, what if, what if, what if, if you find that dominating your days, Jesus has an answer for you. Take speculations captive and make them look like Jesus. Run to his truth. Stand in who he is. Know his presence. Verses like Psalm 94 say this, when anxiety was great within me, God, your presence brought me joy. In the midst of my anxiety, God, your presence brought me joy. Romans 12, 2 speaks to these, to changing the way that you interact with these what-ifs. It says, be transformed into a new person by changing the way you think, by renewing your thoughts, by rebuking, by taking captive the speculations, making them obedient to Jesus. Taking something from speculation to God's truth. A good litmus test for this, very practical, is Philippians 4, 8. Listen to this. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. May Philippians 4, 8 be a filter for you that you will think about what comes out the other side of that. If it's not true, I don't want to think on it. If it's not pure, I don't need to think on it. If it's not excellent or praiseworthy, it's not gonna help me. I don't need to think on it. I don't have to entertain those thoughts. I don't have to think about the what-if speculations. Peter learned to sleep through the storm and you, you can learn to rest in the storm, sleep in the storm. Did you know that? Anxiety, anger, insecurity, and all the other things that are rooted in fear do not have to dictate your life. And as someone who had a lot of my life dictated by this, you don't have to live like that anymore. There's a way out and Peter found it. Faith and fear, do not live in the same place. One of them gets kicked out. And I want to ask you this, in your life, what most often wins? Your faith or your fears? If you find your fear most often winning, then perhaps stop just trying to downgrade your fears and put that energy into upgrading your faith. Perhaps be found more in faith. God has whispered something to me over and over again. He says this to me. He says, Daniel, in my presence is everything you desire. And what he means by that is it's it's everything I desire for peace and security and hope and redemption. It's all in him. But that's often the last place we go to his truth or to his presence. But if it's in him, I want to go all in. I want to see my life transformed like Peter was. This is a tangible offer of transformation. Last Thursday, after band practice, one of our band members was arrested outside in the church. I know you think it's the bassist because they always look like they would probably be arrested, right? It wasn't, surprisingly, the bassist slept that night at home. It was Ray, our drummer, Big Ray. In my phone is Conan. I mean, it's Big Ray. He's out there, he goes to practice, he, he goes out and he comes back later and he's arrested and as he's being arrested, they tell him what he's been arrested for. And he's like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and, of course, everyone says that. Ray actually means that, okay? <laughs> it would be like me coming to your door and saying, yes, that arson, you were involved in that. And they're like, what? I, didn't, I haven't been around a fire. Okay. Now, just so we're all clear, chief, this was not a local matter that, w- that is any fault of this. This is Eagle Valley. We're, we're all good here in Carbondale. He was arrested. He was put in jail. And you can imagine, he says, he walked in in the middle of the night to this cell, and everyone's sleeping in this cell, and all of a sudden his huge shadow fills the door. (laughs) I need some room. He's like, you know? (laughs) And so Ray lays down and sleeps. Last Thursday. Friday gets up, and he says, he began to just talk to the people there. He goes, it gave me an opportunity to meet people I never would have met. If you guys see Ray, give him a hug. He needs some friends apparently. (laughs) He's going to prison. I'm kidding, man. He goes, he gave me a great opportunity to meet some people. He said this. He says, it was an awesome opportunity to show people how a Christian behaves under pressure. You see, Ray, he told me, he he believes this. He's been mentored by Stephen and a couple others. Something that means a lot to him is all things come to the good for those who love Christ. And so he kept saying that. "This This is gonna come to the good. I wanna see what that's gonna look like. And because it's gonna come to the good, I don't have to, to panic. So I get to show people what it looks like for a Christian under pressure. It it was amazing. I said, Ray, how did you feel? He said, I had had peace about it. It's kind of funny. No, Ray, it's not funny. (laughs) It's not fun. He he did. In the midst of it, he had peace. I said, five years ago, ten years ago, how would you have responded? He said, man, it would not have looked anything like that. I would not have had that peace. I would have been freaking out. I would have said it and done some things I probably should not have said and not have done that would have got me in more trouble. You know, Ray's, the reality is, and, and Ray and Peter show us this, you don't have to be who you are. You probably can recognize right now you're not, you're not who you were. The glorious thing about Jesus is as we, as we follow him, we don't have to be who we are that my anxieties and those speculations or the fears or the angers, whatever it would be in your life, that God can transform you so that someday you'll be in jail and can act well, right? (laughs) So that someday when you're under pressure, you'll realize, man, God has changed me. I don't respond the way I used to respond. I have a peace within me, something solid, something intangible. The the Bible says is that a... Second Thessalonians 3.16, he is the God of peace who gives peace at all times and in every circumstance. And that's everything, in every circumstance. The resolution of this quickly as I, as I land this plane very fast. Acts 12, I'm gonna summarize this. So Peter's in prison, about to be killed. He's sleeping and an angel appears and has to kick him awake. Peter, get up. It says the chains fall off, Peter. cling, chains fall off. angel says, put on your cloak, put on your sandals. Peter gets dressed. They walk out. The doors just start opening. This is like those automatic doors now we're used to. This is the first one. As they're walking out, it just, (laughs) as we're walking out, it it just says the doors were, and so they get out, and then they walk a block, and the angel disappears, and Peter comes to his senses, and it's like, I can't believe that just happened. He's out of jail. He, he's, He's free. So he goes to the house where the disciples are, and this is the best. He goes to the house, and while he's there, he goes to the door and knocks. And a lady answers the door named Rhoda. Now, what are they doing inside? We know, right? The Bible told us. What are they doing? They're earnestly praying. What are they praying for? That Peter would be what? Released. They're in there praying for Peter's divine intervention that God would save him. And Rhoda comes to the door, and he goes, hey, it's me, Peter, and she, it says here, in her joy, she runs away but leaves it locked. Oh my gosh, it's Peter! She runs in there, and they're in there, and they're praying, (laughs) Peter's outside! And these are, these are people of faith. I mean, they're praying big prayers. They trust that God's going to move when they ask, and so what do they say? You must be out of your mind, Rhoda! What are you talking about she's like no peter's out there rhoda quit interrupting we're in here praying for divine intervention that god would move on peter's behalf he's out rhoda quit we're praying in here what's the point of this when you pray in faith answer the door sometimes hey if you're praying for god to show up and do something answer the door like seriously what if he's done it If if you're not going to ever answer the door, then you're not ever expecting him to do it. Pray something and then try it out. God, heal my knee. Not yet, but I'm going to keep like, and then pray some more. But answer the door in faith if you're praying for God to move. Let's see if he moves. Finally, they open the door. Rhoda, you were right. I mean, Peter, he wasn't locked in prison. He was locked out of church. (laughs) He gets free. It moves on. The whole movement continues. Now, here's the point as we land this. Peter learned to sleep through the storm, but it was a lesson, but it was a lesson he had to go through. We see in Mark 4, that's not how he naturally responds. And for many of us here today, our faith needs deeper roots. Just like a a tree needs deeper roots in a storm, our faith needs deeper roots for the storm. And so for this, as we we go through this, what is the application? Is that faith is the answer to fear. And look how much faith you're standing on. How much are you standing on? Sometimes just ask you, look at that. What, what faith are you standing on? Faith in yourself? Faith in God? Perhaps it's time to pursue God's presence in a new way, with a new passion. Perhaps it's time to sink your heart and your mind anew and afresh into his word. Why do I say that? Because the more you get to know his nature, the more you get to know him, the more you can become like him. The, the goal is to know God, to know Jesus, and to, to behave like him, to be like him, to faith in him. Now, I, I don't, listen, there's more to this. I want you to immerse yourself in worship. And I know that when we do worship, some are engaged and some are not. Remember, do not sing a worship song as a song. Sing it as a prayer. Sing it as a prayer. Sing it to him. Maybe you join a growth group. If you're not in a growth group and you're a part of the orchard, get in one now. We get in groups and we talk about these kind of issues and what they mean for our life Dedicate yourself to knowing God. But listen, this is not self-help teaching. I am not saying try harder to do better with God. That's not what I'm saying. Because this with God is a relationship. We want to know him. And the more we get to know his nature, oftentimes the more his nature is alive within us. So be found in his presence as you fall deeper in love with who he is and pursue him in new ways. See, most of us, we can see, when we see Peter in the Bible, we see a man who, because of his fear, overreacted or overcompensated. Cutting off ears, jumping out on water, saying stuff. Peter's doing all these things. But at the end, we see that wasn't Peter's story. That wasn't who he is now. Peter learned where to put his faith, and it made all the difference. When Jesus said, do you still have no faith? It's a different Peter now. He has that. Peter learned to fight speculations. He's sleeping with speculations swirling. He learned to sleep through the storm like his savior and you are invited into this. Your what ifs don't have to dominate you. Last thing is the band comes up, band come on out as we close. I can't get away without saying one more thing and that's this. There's this power of a church that's praying. The church is praying for freedom, right? They're praying for God to set someone free. And What happens? God does it. That doesn't do it magically because they asked, but there was something about a church praying and asking. God moved. God miraculously set Peter free. The word um, earnest means intense, and in his kindness he intervened. And I know in a room this size there are many of us who are in bondage to fear. And it says they were chained between two guards. Your two guards could be anxiety and depression. It could be addiction and shame. It could be anger and lust. I don't know what is guarding your life. I don't know what has got you in bondage. It could be small, it could be big. But I know that we all have some areas where we are feeling the chains. Whatever you are chained to, know that Jesus can break those. He longs to. You don't have to live defined by that. And so this is another very brave moment Um, If you're in here, and it could be anything from something small to something big, if you are here today and you say, I realize I need freedom. I want freedom. I want the church to pray earnestly for my freedom. I want to ask you just to stand up. You don't have to tell us what it is. Don't worry. Stand up. Thank you. Now, orchard. Orchard. We're going to pray intensely and earnestly. So put a hand on somebody. He's standing up. Put a hand toward them. Pray along with me. Let's all pray together. Jesus, in your name, we ask for freedom. We ask you to break chains. Jesus, change us. And these brave people, set them free. In Jesus' name, amen. Orchard, as we go into worship, you can be seated. As we go into worship, there's going to be people up front if you want prayer for something. But let's go into worship and praise a Savior who breaks chains and who doesn't leave us who we were, but can change us into people of peace and hope and power. Let's do communion. Let's pray.